0: following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Well, we, we continue in our time in First Corinthians and we find here the, the issue of influence and imitation, the issue of, of who are we influenced by and, and who are we imitating, who do we want to be like in life. And Paul, the writer of this letter, he confronts us with this issue so that those who have the letter, including ourselves, would give serious thought to to what ideas, what people, what worldviews do we follow after? Uh, And and also, who who are we trying to be like, and and who are we influencing in our life, whether it's co-workers, family members, neighbors, whatever. And there was this question that was thrown around a lot when I was younger, and, and maybe you've heard this question brought to you before, and that is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And... For me, that was always one question that I knew exactly the answer to. And, and no, it wasn't being a pastor. Uh, it was something entirely different. And I was convinced my calling in life was when I visited this candy store in downtown Urbana, Ohio, where I used to live. And it was called Carmazzi's. My, my siblings know exactly where this is. Could we show a picture of Carmazzi's? Now, this is Carmazzi's, and, and picture this little downtown square that was built in the early 1800s. And it was an office there during the, the, war, the war of 1812. Uh, the generals was, would sit there in this building. It wasn't a candy store at the time, uh, but they would have their office there. And then later, when the railroad road was being built, it was a railroad office. And then it turned into a deli and, and a candy store. And it's the oldest building in downtown Urbana, Ohio. And it's this beautiful little uh, town. And this is a place, really, that, that dreams came true. Every piece of candy in that store was a penny. And my parents would give me a dollar, and I'd go in, and I'd have a little brown sack, and I'd get a hundred pieces of candy. And it, I just thought how happy it made me feel, and, and how much I, I wanted to be like John Carmazzi, just making kids so happy and filling them with, with this joy that I could go in with a dollar and get a, a hundred pieces of candy, and I remember this one candy they had was a a bubblegum cigarette. I don't think they have those anymore. (laughs) And it was a pink pink, uh, stick, and it was wrapped in this white paper, and it had powdered sugar between the paper and the gum, and so when you blew on it, it would blow out this powdered smoke. And so you could practice, you know, as a little kid. And (laughs) I don't think they have that at all anymore. Um, I just wanted to be like him. Those were special times, and I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be John Carmazzi. I wanted a candy star that all the kids can come, and, and I could just make their lives so much better. And now thinking back, I know that sounds really creepy. Uh, I just want a candy store so I can make little children really happy. But I remember this, how it influenced me so much, this, this person, this experience that I had, this, this thing that was so important to me. And I, I show you a little window into my life to show you that if, if something like that as a, as a young child can, can influence me so much, I mean, how much more can more important things in life influence us? Uh, more important people in our life, more important experiences, uh, whether good or bad, they shape us to be who we are today. You are who you are today because of your experiences, the things that you have uh, been challenged by, the victories that you've had in life, the challenges that you've had. Uh, you have been influenced, and, and, and you, in, in a way, have imitated people in your life. Um, You've imitated some good things, you've imitated some bad things. And we're given an example, an idea of, of worldviews and compelling reasons why we should follow them. And some, even very literally in our life today, uh, we see all around us this opportunity to, to imitate, to be influenced by so many things. And, and even literally, I mean, uh, Twitter has uh, almost, you know, f- over 500 million users that are asking you to literally follow them follow me, and even uh, Facebook has nearly a billion users, and they're all saying, uh, friend me, or like me, or, and, and those are just kind of some superficial examples of, that's kind of the world we live in, that there is influence, there's imitation, and we should give extremely careful thought to who are we becoming, and what is influencing us in our life, who is influencing us in our life, and is there some, can there be some kind of litmus test, or some kind of standard or pattern that we can look at to match it up with and say, is this the person that I should be becoming? Is this a worldview or an idea or a value that I should be imitating in my own life? And Paul wants us to ask these questions of ourselves, and that's why he, he wrote this letter to the people in Corinth. Now, in ancient Corinth, I want to give you a little bit of background here. Uh, people would come to town, to this city, and they would just dazzle the audience with their their rhetoric, and their performance of speaking skill. There was this group known as the Attic Ten. I mean, it sounds like an indie band from the 1980s. And these people were like these elite speakers. And there was a group, and they were given a name. And you know, in, like in any culture, if you're given a nickname, then it's probably because you're very cool, you're very infamous for a certain reason. So these Attic Ten, these members of this group, would come and just dazzle crowds with their ability to, to speak well. And, and then they caught on and people thought, well, we want to learn how to speak well like that. And so they would have leaders and teachers to teach people how to dazzle crowds and audiences. And it became such a, a huge thing that that was the, the image and value of, of wisdom was if you can compel an audience with your rhetoric and your talent, then you were, uh, had a special grace, a special revelation and knowledge from God and you should be followed. And this was this group before Jesus' time, but, it, but now we find it in this ancient Corinth still existing where there were leaders and teachers and teaching people how to speak. Here's a picture of, of a man, part of that Attic 10. Uh, his name is Demosthenes. And here he is, this is a painting of him out by the water on this beach practicing his craft. He's practicing this art and skill of, of rhetoric and speaking and, you know, it's, it's so artistic and You can just imagine, uh, if I came to church like this, just with my arms filling. you'd think, this guy's, uh, I'm not going to listen to him, he's obnoxious. But this was something that was so prized, so valuable, um, and people wanted to be like that. Another member of the Attic Ten, his name is Isocrates, says this, The teacher must so expound the principles of the art with the utmost possible exactness as to leave out nothing that can be taught. And must set a, such an example of oratory that the students who have taken form under his instruction and are able to pattern themselves after him will, from the start, show in their speaking a degree of grace and charm that is not found in others. That was the context that we find this letter written now, that Paul is writing to these people who are seeing teachers come into their town and teaching them how to be, in their opinion, wise and And important and knowledgeable and godly of the ability to speak. And now you have Paul who does not speak well at all. And he comes to them in verse 16 in our passage. We're going to read a little bit more. But verse 16, I just want you to look at that. Paul says, I urge you, be imitators of me. And so you have these influences, all these teachers coming in saying, I will teach you how to live, I will teach you how to, to be wise, to be important, to be special, and then Paul says, I urge you, be imitators of me. You know, when a speaker would come into town, they would draw a crowd, and the way that they would do that is they would use this word, parakaleo, maybe it's a Greek word that means to gather around, to, to go out, and it's like putting out an invitation uh, to get people to come close, and You've seen that today, maybe if you've ever been on the U of A campus or another place where a a mall speaker has come and people gather around, or if you've been in a place where people have drawn a crowd, maybe it's like a a street performer or something, they're gathering around, they're parakaleo, they're coming around this person to to learn and to be instructed and and to find out uh, how they should live. And that word Paul uses here, He says, I urge you, and he uses one word. He says, "Pericaleo," which is really interesting because all these teachers are coming and saying, "Pericaleo, learn from me, be wise and know God. And Paul uses the same word that they're using. He says, but instead, pericaleo, gather around me, gather around my, my teaching, gather around my words, gather around my example and learn from me, imitate me. He's telling them that you're gathering around ideas, there's things in your culture, there's, there's worldviews that you hold, there's values that are in your life that you've gathered and imitated from other sources, and they're wrong. You've learned in so many different ways without you really knowing what's going on. You've learned how to be who you are, and some of them are very, very wrong. And these, his friends are growing up into becoming adults and people that are the wrong kind of people because they follow the wrong kind of values. And so he says, gather around me, follow me, listen to me, imitate me. And he knows it sounds crazy, because he's so different from all the other speakers. He doesn't speak with great skill. He doesn't charm the audiences. He doesn't put on a show. But yet he knows that he's very right. And so we need to look in this text in chapter 4 to answer exactly how it is that we should live, how should we imitate Paul, and why is that? So let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians 4 and start in verse 6. Let's read in, in verse 6. I've applied all of these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by, by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What did you have? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you. As, bro- as beloved children, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ, Jesus, through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent Timothy to you, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. You know, one of the great tragic patterns in the Christian church today is teaching that all that God wants from us and says to us and would guide us in is so that we could be better people. It's a tragedy, a tragic teaching in the church to say that God wants from us and gives himself to us so that we could be just better people in our life. And Paul wants them, he wants these people in Corinth. And he wants us, as we receive this scripture, To gather around a a teaching that doesn't just motivate us to be better people. But it motivates us to live according to the gospel. According to the life that was lived out in Christ. According to the life that Paul is living here. And so we identify, as we identify in Christ, his life reigns in us, reigns through us. And we manifest all of his good in our lives. You know, when we live as just merely as moral people, if we approach the scriptures and approach our Christianity and our relationship with God as trying to just be better people, then when people look at us and want to be influenced by us and want to imitate us, then all they see is just a self-righteous person. They see a person that's just trying to be good, and when they are good, then they boast in their goodness. They see people that are just merely do-gooders. But if we live according to the gospel, we communicate in our life as we're living out the gospel that we bring nothing to Christ but our sin, but our weakness. We bring nothing to Christ but our weakness. And we communicate to others in the world around us that when we live out the gospel that we are sinners. And it's by God's grace that we are anything at all. And it's God's grace and his love and forgiveness that transforms us in our whole being. That's what Paul wants people to see as they look on them and that's what Paul wants these people to see as they, as they look on himself. And he's pointing to how strange this sounds too but he knows that he's right. You know, we're created to imitate. You and I are created to, to imitate. We're created with that ability and desire to, to look on something and want to be like that person or that thing. And there's nothing... That we have that we did not receive, he says in verse 7. Our abilities, our temperaments. I mean, look at your life. Think about your life. Think about who you are today. Your temperaments, your personality, your likes, your dislikes, your tastes. Tastes in food, tastes in challenges. If you're an adrenaline junkie, if you like to have your feet on the ground. I mean, look at who you are. I bet you could trace all of those things to some kind of, of pattern that you've learned to, to like or an experience that you've been deferred from one thing to another. Something your parents taught you, something that you saw in a friend that you really admired, and you thought, "I want to be like that." So much of who we are is really just a mocking or an imitation of people that have gone before us, and that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's how we're designed to be. But think about that as well. How much is at stake if we are capable of of really imitating people and then becoming people like the people before us? How much is at stake that we would really consider who are we following? What ideas do we value, and how did we get those values? Are there dangers in those? Are there rewards in some? Are there good ways to live and bad ways to live? And Paul says, absolutely. And we should consider it with great care. And so I want to, this morning, just look at three applications for us, and and that is to consider. We need to consider our leaders, we need to consider our followers, and we need to consider our very life. And we're going to walk through those together. The first one is that we should consider our leaders. Paul wants us to consider our leaders. Whose advice do you listen to the most? Maybe it's mom or dad or a roommate or, or even a spouse or it's a, a, fr- a close friend of yours. Now, there's some people that have earned the right to be heard in your life and some that haven't. And that's Paul's argument. And he's saying, above all people, you don't have anybody like me in my life. and You're not listening to me, but above all people, I have the greatest right to speak in your life and for you to learn from me. He talks about his relationship with them in verse 15. He says, you have many guides, but not many fathers. He sees this father-child relationship that he has with them. He probably led many of them to knowing Christ and trusting in Christ. He nurtured them, he cared for them, he prayed for them, and, and, and invested in them in a, in a huge way. And I want, it's good for us to think about, who, do we have anybody like that in our life that, that has really invested in us and nurtured us in our life and Have they earned the right to be heard? And are we listening to those people that really have that right to speak into our life or somewhat like a a mother or a father to us? Maybe it is our very mother and father. The second thing he says is, he says he loves them. In in verse 14, he says, I don't write these things. I'm not harsh with you because, because I hate you or because I want you to be ashamed. But he says, I do it to admonish you as beloved children. Paul says, I am being hard with you and really stern right now with you because I love you. Have you ever heard that? From a parent? Have you, as a parent, ever said that to your child? I'm, I'm, I'm being hard with you. I'm being stern with you. I'm disciplining you. I'm instructing you. I'm, I am striking you with, with a rod of discipline because I love you. And that counts for something. It's meaningful. And Paul is saying, I am not harsh with you because I think I'm better than you. I'm harsh with you because I love you and you are imitating the wrong things. You know, sometimes it's easy to think we want to choose friends that, that don't tell us when we're wrong. And we want people to sur- be surrounded by people in our life that will not consistently just challenge us and, and correct us and, and be harsh with us when we make mistakes. We want people that will just go along with us and agree with us. And I want you to know that those people don't truly love you the way that they should. You know, someone that loves you enough to be able to speak into your life and correct you and say, I don't want you to feel bad, I don't want you to be ashamed and feel like a horrible person, but you need to know that I say this out of love, that there is something that you're embracing in your life that is not good. You know, we need people in our life that will be courageous enough to speak into us and to look at us and to tell us, you're doing it wrong, you're living wrong, you're, you're imitating the wrong people, you're embracing the wrong values. Is there anybody like that in your life? Maybe there have been people like that that you've pushed out. And maybe those were the people all along that were loving you the most. We need people like that. And thirdly, he says, his way of life is consistent with his teaching. He says in verse 17, that's why I sent Timothy to remind you of my ways in Christ. Paul is able to speak into their life because he knows that his teaching and his life are consistent with one another. Think of the people in your life that you learn from, that you value, that you respect and you look up to. Is their life consistent with their values? Is their life consistent with their teaching? Do they talk the talk and they walk the walk? Jesus described the Pharisees as people who said the right things but lived as hypocrites. And he said, listen to what they say, hear their words, but do not live like they live. Don't follow a hypocrite, Paul urges us. Whose ideas and thoughts are, are you most influenced by? Think of those people. Think of those ideas. And then think of these three questions. Do, do they invest in you? Like a friend, like a real friend. Do they, do they invest in you and nurture you? Do they give the time necessary to, to speak into your life and to earn that relationship? Do they tell you the hard things when those hard things need to be said? It's good to think about that. If you're thinking, wow, this is the person that I look up to the most, but he's never told me I'm ever wrong. She's never, ever corrected me. There's something missing there. And do they point you to Christ in all things? And do they follow Christ consistently? And so we should think of our leaders. And Paul says, think of your leaders. Look at who you're following and then look at me and realize that I'm all those things. I've poured into your life. I've lived a consistent life and I've, I've loved you enough to tell you when you're wrong. I've earned all these things and the people that you're listening to Maybe they're really cool. Maybe they're really popular. Maybe their ideas are really, really awesome. And you just want to be a part of that and you feel really special when you belong to them. But they do not love you. They don't care for you. And when you need them the most, they will be gone. But imitate me because I've been all those things. And secondly, we should consider our followers. Now examining himself in verse 6 that we read, he he lets us know that he is very aware of the responsibility that he holds in calling people to follow him. Because he knows that children will naturally imitate their parents. Metaphorically, he knows that we were created to imitate people. And so when Paul says, imitate me, he knows the responsibility that that he holds in his life. Your example will be followed, whether good or bad. And I say that to all of you. Your example, the way that you live your life, will be followed and will be imitated by somebody. You are influencing people everywhere you go, to a small degree, to a large degree, and there's, there's a variety in there. But every single one of us are going to be imitated by somebody. Now, that is a terrifying responsibility, isn't it? For some of you, you know that a little bit stronger than others. You know how scary that is because you're living in it right now, and you know that there's people that are looking to you and saying, how do I live? And you say, I don't know. And you realize that that person's growing up, that person maybe is a child, and, and you're thinking, this person's going to be like me, and it just terrifies you, because you know the responsibility. But it's a good kind of pressure. And it's common to have this, this mentality of deference, you know, of this, I know that these are important things, but, but someone else will deal with it. Someone else will, will help this person. If you call yourself a Christian, you are called by God to be a steward and to be responsible, and people will follow you and imitate you and look to you for influence, and I know that many of you, and I have at times too, thought someone came to me with a question, I thought, if they said, you know, what does it mean to live like a Christian? What does it mean to to live with integrity? What does it mean to follow Christ? And What does it mean to apply the gospel in my life? And and you say to them, well, that's a great question. Um, Why don't you meet my pastor? He'll sit down with you, and I'm I'm sure, that's all he does is just drinks coffee and sits down with people. (laughs) He loves talking about this stuff. So it's so easy to have that mentality of, you know, I don't know, I don't know how, to, how to give that answer, but someone will. You know, we can't be so quick and easy to just defer that. Because people are going to look to you, and people are going to imitate you, and you're going to have influence on people's lives. Paul wants us to bear that responsibility and, and, and have that good weight, that good burden in our life, knowing, wow, there's a lot at stake. People are going to look at me. And yes, of course, you can bring people to me. I'd love to talk to them, but I want them to talk to you. You have more room in, in, to speak into their life than I do because you probably love them more than I do. You probably know them more than I do. You have a relationship that is, is, is probably closer than me, than I do with them. And they're probably going to be a, a witness of your life a lot more than they're going to look into my life. You need to be that influence. You need to be the one that they imitate. If I were to ask you, who is looking to you for an example for how they might live? Who comes to mind? You think of your own life. If you're a parent, you automatically think of your children or your spouse. If you're a manager, you automatically think of the people who are under you that you lead and guide and, and manage and help in the work, workplace and help to have good teamwork and things like that. But you know what? You don't have to be a manager. You don't have to be a parent to have significant influence in people's lives. I want to look at a passage in Titus chapter 1. Paul also writes this letter as well, and he instructs us. <clears throat> Titus chapter 1, verse 16, starting there, it says this. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And then he says this. Teach, or, but, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Every and any and every person who trusts in Christ and seeks to follow Him and know Him must see yourself, him or herself, as Someone to be imitated, someone to, be, to give influence, someone to be followed, someone to be a steward, as Paul says, as the, of the mysteries of the gospel. And he speaks to older men. He says, young men, and I speak to the older men in here, young men, including myself, look to you, will look to you, and will continue to look to you with questions of what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to, to follow Christ and, as a man? What does it mean to be strong yet tender-hearted? What does it mean to have the confidence of a lion and, and the heart of a lamb? What does it mean to love my wife and guide my children? What does it mean to be kind in the workplace and kind to the, the store clerk? What does it mean to deal with integrity and honesty in my life and do these things even matter? How does my faith interact with my life? And we look to you if you're an older man. Be a model of this steadfast, not giving up on tasks, but how to plan for life and work hard. So be sober-minded. Be self-controlled. Be sound in your faith. If you have areas to grow, then grow in your faith. Seek God's word. Have an answer. Be confident. Of the influence that you have. You don't have to be a dad, you don't have to be a manager to have that kind of responsibility. And then he speaks to older women. He says, Teach younger women how to prize their home and their family above any other thing. Teach them to be in control of their tongues and how they talk about other people in private, in public. Teach them how to be in control of their appetites when they drink together. Teach them how to be respectful and gentle and humble. Teach them how to be women in all areas of their life. Wise and discerning and strong, yet humble and patient and kind and reverent of the gifts and position and honor that God has given them. Older women, young women are looking to you, pleading with you, looking at you and saying, Can I imitate you? I'm going to imitate somebody. I'm going to follow somebody. I'm going to value something. And you're in my life, and so I'm looking to you. What does it mean to be a woman of God? What should I value in my home? What should I value in my work? What should I value with my heart and my emotions? What should I value with my my gifts? And there's a special word again in verse 6 in chapter 2. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Urge the younger men. There's that word again. Perikaleo. Gather around. If you're an older man, get, get in position where you are living life with people around you, where you can be an influence. Live such a life where it, your life is one that has a gathering effect. Don't live in isolation. Don't live in solitude. Don't live quiet lives. But live a life where people will come to you and ask those questions, and when they do, they can seek wisdom in your life. Gather around. Older women live such a life where you're interacting with, with other women and, and, and younger women and younger men know that you can seek out these people to learn from them and to be encouraged by them. Be teachers yourself. Your life should be a gathering point. All of our lives should be a gathering point for people to learn about the gospel, about the love of Christ, about the grace that he speaks into our life. Isn't that amazing? People are going to gather around something, and it should be us. It should be us that trust in God and that hope in him and that love him. And understanding all that at stake, Paul urges us to consider how we live, and he says like this, he says, live as I live. The last thing that we'll look at tonight is, or today is consider your life. Paul wants people to live like him. How many of us can say with such confidence and boldness in our life, hey, what should someone l- live like? What, is it, what should a person do and live like? And how many of us would have the confidence to say, live like me? I'm the model. I am I'm, I'm the pattern that you should live your life by. Now, if someone were to say that, you might assume, and probably rightfully, this person is arrogant. This person is a jerk. This person thinks that he's all that. And a bag of potato chips. And they're not. But what's going on with Paul? Paul is saying, Live like me. And not only is he just saying, Live like me, he's pleading with them with open arms. He's urging them. He's saying, Be like me. Look at me. Live like me. Value what I value. It's hard for us to see confident humility, and when we do see it, it's somewhat confusing. So we ask ourselves, well, is Paul being really overly confident and self-righteous, or is he being like really humble? It's got to be one or the other, but what we don't realize is you can be both. As we grow in our confidence in Christ, we should also grow in our humility, not in our pride. And Paul, as he's growing in his confidence in Christ, as he knows who he is in Christ, and he knows that his life patterns after his conviction, so much so that he is humble about it. I love that in verse 6 where he says, now I am doing what I'm asking you guys to do. I'm looking at my life, I'm examining my life, and I'm realizing that only God can judge me. Sorry, just thought of Tupac lyric. (laughs) All right, I'm going to have to fire myself in a minute if I don't keep going. In verse 9, he says says this, he says, I live like a man sentenced to death. We are a spectacle to the world. We're fools for Christ. We are weak. We're despised. We're hungry, poorly dressed, beat up, homeless. We work with our hands. We're reviled. We're persecuted. We're slandered. And to finish it all off, to put the cherry on top, he says, we're the scum of the world. We're garbage. We're refuse. Be like us. Absurd. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous they would look and say, are you kidding? That's your resume? If we would look at Paul's resume and his history, we would say, no one should hire this man. No one should be like this man. But the the wisdom of the world is the foolishness of God. To follow Christ does not mean that we follow in his circumstances. And so when Paul says, be like me, he's not saying, I want you to have the circumstances that I've had. I want you to be beat up. I want you to be reviled. I want you to be hated. But he says, but you should follow in my pattern. You should follow in the course of my life. And he gives a few examples. In verse 2, he says, he says I'm a faithful steward. The main thing that people look for in a steward is one of faithfulness. Now, we are faithful stewards. You want to live like Paul. You want to live and follow in the gospel. and realize, what does it mean to be a true follower of Christ? Be a faithful steward. Now, a steward is someone that does what the master asks, expects, and someone, it is not someone that takes liberty and license as to how they might live. Now, a steward is not given possession over a master's property and says, you know, I'm going to decide what's important here, what's valuable, and I'm going to protect what I think is right. But a faithful steward is one that says, this has been given to me, this has been given to me, and it's right. I won't change it. I won't decide what's right for me. I'm going to be faithful in taking care of it. All Christians are called to be stewards. We didn't make up the message of the Bible. We can't look at the Bible and say, you know, some things are really good, and those are the ones I'll live by, and some things are really inconvenient, but you know what? God wants me to be happy, and so I'll just decide for myself. That's not a steward. Well, it's not a faithful steward. And we are, first and foremost, foremost called to be faithful stewards of the gospel. We don't decide what pleases God, but God tells us what pleases Him. And you or me or no person has the role of determining what pleases God. He's made it known. And we should follow in what He's given us. Secondly, He says we should inspect ourselves in verse 4. We should make a continual habit of looking at ourselves and looking at our lives. And, you know, whenever we speak truth into someone else's life, we should simultaneously be looking doubly in our own heart and saying, Where do I stand on this? How am I doing? Admitting to God that we are not perfect, admitting to others that we are not perfect, and that there's always room for growth. And he says in verse six, have a discerning mind. He says, you know, there's some people that are leading you that are really puffed up. He says they're filled with air. They're just they're bloated with how much they view themselves that they can't see straight and they can't discern what is right and what is wrong. And so we're not we should be people that aren't persuaded by cunning arguments and and, and flashy pretty things and, and but we should be discerning, dividing the influence in our life and saying, is this consistent with God's word? Is it not consistent with God's word? We should be cunning and wise and discerning in those things. And we should reject the things that are not consistent with God's word and embrace the things that are. And lastly, we should be humble in verse 8 through 13. I talked about this a bit, that confidence and humility, usually we don't see them together, but they are. There's a combination in Paul. And in Corinth, a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of giftedness went a long way and it destroyed some of these people. Now they were so gifted. Paul says, You're like kings. You guys have you guys are like rich. You're so wealthy. You're like kings. And and I really wish it were literally like that, because I would want to follow you. Because you guys have you're just so talented. And yet that talent, that ability, that that ability that you had, those gifts that you received from God, you're now using not to serve God, but to boast in them. Be humble. Now we have people in this room that are just incredibly talented. Every single one of us have, in some way have talent and gifts that the other person might not have. God has blessed you. He's given you. He's made you like kings. He has given, he's made you rich in his own way. And you should not boast in those things, but you should use those things to, to be a blessing. To be humble. Here's where I want to close what do you want to be when you grow up? Who do you want to be when you grow up? And how are you going to get there? You will grow up and you will be somebody and you will be like someone or something. And there's so much at stake. And we should follow Paul's encouragement to us as harsh as it might be. And that is, there are things in our life probably right now that we are imitating that we shouldn't. Because because they seem really neat because we don't want to reject them because we might lose some friends we don't want to reject them because we might might be made fun of there's a lot at stake at embracing something but we know it's right but we are hesitant Paul is saying you will become the people you follow you will become the value that you follow you will become like the thing that that you follow so follow the right things Follow me because I follow Christ. And he says, I'm sending Timothy to remind you of my ways in Christ. Paul knows I'm not the end. I am not the the end result that I want you to be. I want you to be like Christ. So think of people in your life that are like Christ. That their ways and their teaching are consistent. That they are faithful, that they're humble. That they have cared for the things that God has given them that they inspect themselves, they look at their heart and seek them out and be like them and ask them good questions because we'll be like the people we follow. Let's pray together. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com.